A lot has changed in the last few years. The wizard gave me superpowers. Shazam! And then everybody got superpowers. Started from the bottom, now we're here. All right, here's the situation. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. The daughters of Atlas are coming to hunt us. Children stole the power of the gods. Shazam! You ripped it from our father's core. Okay, I feel like maybe I should be writing all this down. Give us the powers, child. Your world will not survive this. You want these powers? Come get them! Hey, Khaleesi! Started from the bottom, now we're here. All right. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. We have one job to do. Save the world. Billy! I don't know how we fight powers like this. I can't do this. Take my powers back. You gave them to me so you can take them back, right? I spent millennia searching for a worthy champion. You know exactly what must be done. Billy, what are you doing? I have to do this. We end this now. Yeah, we do. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 184th episode of Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? I'm doing well. Can't complain. The sun's shining, water's wet, air's dry, so, you know. All good in my neck of the woods. Fantastic stuff. Well, here, I, I guess uh, I can't really complain either. You know, um, we're having somewhat of an, if you will, early summer, if you will, though, sadly, my football team Inter Milan is losing to Juventus Turin. And it's like considered like the big game of the two big Italian teams. Should we say that it's known as the Derby of Italy because usually oh, really? a Derby. Yes. It's usually when Derby uh, usually in for football is when two teams from the same city play each other in this case uh, granted inter is from milan my hometown and juventus is from turin so different town but it's considered derby of italy because they've had such a long historic rivalry so sadly the, uh, thus far we are trailing one nothing i guess we'll see by the end of the podcast if things have gotten better but other than that i'm definitely happy to always talk to you and uh, of course discuss these these movies and especially today's because today is a brand new one as we are of course discussing shazam, shazam. Fury of the Gods from 2023. This was directed by David F. Sandberg, who also directed the first Shazam movie. It was written by Henry Gaydon and Chris Morgan, while the score was by Christoph Beck. And the when it comes to how much this movie cost, we don't have obviously the returns as it's just come out. But roughly on estimation, this movie cost around $125 million to make. And so far, it seems like the returns are kind of dripping in. It's not doing as well as some folks hoped it would. But I believe, I think, soon enough, it should make its money back at least. But I guess we'll see. So when it comes to this uh, sequel, Keith, uh, what did you make of uh, of the second Shazam movie? It was a fun watch. Um, 
but there are a lot of flaws with the movie and it's one of those things that you go for like the popcorn enjoyment of the movie it's a lot of fun it's not necessarily a lot of beat them up there was a lot of fighting and magic and but it was very telegraphed you there was not a oh my god i didn't see this coming moment you know the the big bads were the obvious big bads somebody was introduced to a character and you're like well they're the bad guy so it was very paint by numbers esque I will say the saving grace of the movie, at least for me, was the cast and the random cameo at the end, which we'll discuss at you know later points. But you know, for what it's worth, I think what killed this movie is the fact that Jason Gunn was like, "We're rebooting the universe, so nobody's going to go out and see Shazam," which, to be honest, is one of these should have been an HBO Max type of movies. It's good, but it's not great. They could, I feel like they could have done better with what they had available to them you know the the big bads really weren't big bads they just were kind of like oh we're here the villain of the week kind of scenario i didn't feel like there's imminent doom and the fact that shazam and his family were able to handle this opposed to say like black adam where they had to call in the justice society it's like well how really big bad are they if you know a bunch of teenagers can you know handle this themselves which p.s spoilers there's no justice society for some bizarre reason or Batman, Superman, or Wonder Woman. Who knows where they were when all of this was happening? <laughs> yes, I guess this the, the Snyderverse, if you will, is maybe starting to show some cracks here and there. Um, but uh, it's interesting, I guess, because I think, you know, when we do get to discuss our mid-credit and post-credit scenes, maybe there might be a possibility that James Gunn is not shutting the door on Shazam entirely. But of course, you know, we'll, we'll discuss that when we get to it. When it came to, to, you know, this movie, you know, obviously, you know, I went to see, I went to see it on the Friday and, uh, and I will say, I actually found myself laughing out loud a lot throughout the course of this film and not at the movie, but with the movie, because, you know, there are sometimes those cases where you're like, it's supposed to be a serious moment, but you're laughing at it here for the most part, the jokes, I think, landed for me and for my 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 fellow audience members who were there in the in the in the theater with me so i will say kudos to uh, henry gaden and chris morgan for writing a rather fun script and i think it was the, that that's why as i said the, the the jokes landed quite a bit uh, david sandberg i think by and large did a good job directing this and christoph beck i mean we, we've talked about christoph beck multiple times on this oh, yes. podcast and he definitely provides a great score and I, I thoroughly enjoyed the first one, and I will say I very much enjoyed this one too because it it had a similar vibe to the first film for the most part because of course same director and one of the writers you know was on the first one too, so it did carry on the vibe that we'd had with the first Shazam film. And by and large, as I said, it landed for me. I enjoyed what I watched. It was I found it very entertaining, great fun. I was actually surprised when it came to the cameos because. Yours truly does not watch trailers, so I don't know whether certain characters have been given away by the trailers. They may have, but um, I was not expecting expecting certain people to to appear. And when they did, I was like, "Yay, that that's cool!" And um, and and other than that, I think the story, yes, it can be seen maybe a little bit paint by the numbers and a little bit more of a. I suppose it's the continuation of the coming of age when it comes to Billy Batson and being a superhero and trying to get a bit, a bit more confidence and learning to be, I guess, learn what a superhero is even more so. And I think 
very much plays more into the family dynamic, just like the first one, which was all about family. I think this was this, this one even more is about family. And I suppose once again, growing up because, you know, some time has passed since uh, our first film, since Dr. Savannah had been put in prison. So, you know, our kids are a little bit older and uh, starting to develop and, you know, learn more about life. So, by and large, I, I I enjoyed this. I thought it was I thought it was a fun watch. And if we ever get a Shazam three, I'll definitely be uh, be happily heading over to the theater to see it. So I guess then uh, let's start off with the uh, two of our main characters. We have quite a few. I guess we could start off with, of course, Zachary Levi and a- Asha Angel reprising their roles as Billy Batson Shazam, and on the other, Jack Dylan Grazer and Adam Brody as Freddie Freeman. So what did you make of our two main characters, uh, Keith? Uh, I, I like them. They, they play their parts very well. They're cast you know, almost perfectly. You know, when you, I see Shazam, that's who I picture as Shazam. Um, I, I will say, I, you know, he has, you know, as you said, time has progressed and things have happened in the world. And he still seems to be very, you know, wet around the ears if you know what i'm saying like he really he hasn't grown as much as you would expect like you see all the other siblings going off and doing their things and he's trying to keep everybody in like this death grip you know the family must stay together blah 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 and you're like well but you know families grow they grow apart and even the scene where he's talking to his pediatrician trying to come to terms with these powers that he's had for two or three years now and he's making references to other superheroes in the universe well it's like at some point you have to, you know, accept what you have and there are references to where his powers come from and the whole Solomon joke kind of, it was funny the first time the wisdom of Solomon, but every time they went back to it, they're like, well, you don't seem to have Solomon's wisdom. And I'm like, we're going to run with this joke all throughout the movie. You know, they, they kind of like, this is the funny point that we're going to keep bringing back up again, over and over again. And it was like two or three times. And again, the first time was funny. Second time you're like, okay, that's not terrible. But like, as it progressed and kept popping back up, it was like, well, whatever, it's fine. Uh, In terms of them themselves, I liked it. I I think they, again, I don't know if they could cast a different Shazam now. It's one of those, like, you know how you're like, this guy's my Batman. Well, this is the Shazam. This is your measuring stick. He played it perfectly. He's an adult acting like a teenager and he did it very well. I will say you can almost, they almost acted a little too um, differently in terms of childishness, if that makes any sense. You know, when you flip back to him as his, you know, the boy, he's acting and he's got one set of neuroses, but when he turns into Shazam, the adult, there was a different set of neuroses. So you could see the, them kind of drifting apart in terms of acting style. That was a, a minor grope that I had, or gripe rather I had, but not the end of the world. Nothing that was like, son of a bitch, you guys screwed this up. And I left the theater, I, you know, but you know, they were enjoyable. Well, no, I mean, they're totally fair. It's interesting that you mentioned that uh, you notice some differences between Billy when he's, you know, in kid form and when he's Shazam. I, I, it's interesting here, I guess, seeing because, of course, we're coming off the, him, you know, Billy and his and the rest of the Shazam family defeating Dr. Savannah, who's now been in prison for a while. And I agree, he still has a lot of doubts because we notice that throughout the course of the film, he keeps mentioning, like you said, when that rather kind of uh, entertaining scene where he's talking to the pediatrician because he thinks he's talking to a psychologist, like, yeah, you're a child psychologist, but, you know, Billy Batson referred me to you, so we can talk, right? 
And he does seem still very insecure about who he is and where he fits in as a hero. Because like you said, he at this point, he's met other members of the Justice League because he mentions, of course, Superman and Wonder Woman and Aquaman and, and all the others. And he feels somewhat that he doesn't fit in or he's like, these are all amazing guys, but I'm not as good as them. And so he's questioning himself a lot. Plus, I think supposing to be the team leader of the Shazam family, he's a little bit worried, I think, about how he's how he's how he's to be a better leader. And he's noticing, I think, that the rest of the of the kids are kind of straying away and doing the thing or don't even listen to him sometimes, which I think is a is a mixture of Billy having you know been abandoned as a kid in the past is once again worried that I have a good thing here. I don't want to lose it. and I don't want to lose these people because they mean so much to me. I don't want to be alone, which is probably why he's so manic and so obsessed about everybody being at the team meeting, nobody flying alone and all this kind of thing. Cause it's all about, I want to keep everybody close, which I agree is a little bit obsessed, uh, obsessive, but I, I can see where he's coming from because he does suffer from abandonment issues, I guess. Yeah, no, agreed. And, and that kind of creeps up because even when he's talking to the pediatrician and he asks him about these previous traumas that he's experienced, he's talking about you know the father, the mother, and all the different things that he has been through. And then it just kind of veers off to like, well, I fought this guy with the seven deadly sins. And the guy's like, wait, what? Wait, we're, we're going to put a pin in that one. Let's go back to mom and dad. <laughs> yes, indeed. The, I, I I think though, as the movie progresses, he is able to somewhat grow into the hero he is meant to become and who he wants to be. Because you know, we see even when when Anthea or Anne comes into the picture, and we seemingly see Billy's self sacrifice in order to win the day when it comes to defeating uh, Calypso and the dragon, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, he's dead! He gave his life," and so on, and. He, he very much, I think, is learning what it means to be a hero and the whole self-sacrifice complex. And that sometimes you do have to do things by yourself. And, uh, you know, the, sometimes the rest of the family can't be there to help you because, of course, we see the other kids losing their powers to the Daughters of Atlas because of the staff. And so we do get that, that great moment of that sacrifice. I will, I will say I was genuinely concerned because... About Billy, in the sense that when he seemingly died, mm -hmm. I have to admit that for a, for a hot minute, I literally <laughs> thought he was dead. Because knowing that the James Gunn universe is arriving, I'm like, is this how they retire the character? Because obviously I did not know that about the post credit scenes or anything like that. And then we ultimately get his funeral. And, you know, of course, Wonder Woman shows up. And brings him back to life. And, you know, because of the being a, a, a demigoddess, she's able to reconstruct the staff. And so they're able to, to bring Billy back. But at first I was like, is this how he goes out? Because I was <laughs> seriously. So I will, I will say then kudos to the writers and to, uh, to, to Mr. Sandberg for making me believe that because they held it for the longest time. Because at first, you know, when we see him seemingly dead, I'm like, yeah, okay. Now he's just going to, just like Freddie was saying, he's just going to say, oh, no, just cough and come back. But he didn't. So, like, oh, my God, they're literally having a funeral for him. What's going on? This is so messed up. But uh, then, of course, he comes back. But I will I will agree with you. Zachary Levi has very much created a great um, print for how the, how Shazam is played. And, and yeah, Asha Angel uh, is definitely very convincing, Billy Batson. When it comes to Freddie Freeman... This was a curious one because 
I think Freddie, you know, somewhat in, in some way feels he's living in the shadow of Billy as being a superhero because he wants to be his own man. He wants to be his own hero. And and we've what we've seen you in the first movie, the two of them, as much as they love each other and care for each other, they do tend to butt heads a bit because I think they're strong. They're both strong personalities. So they do tend to butt, butt heads sometimes. And I think here, Freddie, at least in my opinion, is maybe feeling like I said, like he is living in Billy's shadow and wants to be, you know, the man, like I said before. And actually in the comics, I believe he is currently Shazam because Billy is not there anymore. And now Freddie Freeman is the current Shazam. So that's why I was almost thinking, are they going to make Freddie the next Shazam? So it was, uh, it was an interesting moment from, but I did also like, you know, Freddie finding love and, and at first, uh, being super related about that and, you know, seeing with Anthea, the fact of, oh yeah, my brother is such a control freak as well. You know, your sisters and my brother could definitely get on so well together because he feels that Billy is stifling him a little bit, but I'm glad that. No, that's a sudden, yeah. And I'm, but I'm glad that as, the, that as the movie progressed, you know, they got to have their own space, if you will. And I guess that by the end of it, Freddie is cool with Billy doing his thing and him doing in him doing his own. So, I did like uh, I did like what uh, what uh, Jack Dylan Grayson and Adam Brody brought to the the Freddie Freeman character. But yeah, am I right in thinking that uh, Freddie does become Shazam in the comics? Um, I, I believe it was for a brief time. They just had a Lazarus story that is, I think, I believe, ongoing or just wrapping up, and they have brought um, Billy back. He was stuck in the Rock of Eternity. Now the Rock of Eternity is actually absorbed into Batson. And they're going to do a reboot of Shazam either next month or the month after. So Shazam was gone there for a little while, but I believe they're slowly reintroducing him into the universe because of this Lazarus pit um, story. That's just, like I said, just wrapped up. It was the, the first story arc of the, was it 2023 DC universe. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think finishing this month or next month. And then there's kind of like a soft reboot where they're introducing a bunch of new comic books. Um, I believe um, Mary is getting her own uh, Shazam comic book, if I remember correctly. So they're kind of spinning her out into the world. So I think you'll see some of the, the kids more. So I don't know. They haven't said too much about Freddie because while in the comic books, he's usually the sidekick, unfortunately. And I get him in the movie almost having the middle child syndrome where he's always feels like he's living in the shadows of the big brother and he kind of act out a little bit more i mean granted to be fair they all have relatively the same power sets some of them you know they do uh vary a little bit from each one of the siblings you know if you notice the little the youngest sister she is more of a speedster than flying and other stuff so, you know, Freddie has his, and then you got the one brother, uh, DJ, he, or not DJ, uh, Pedro, he has super strength. So they, they kind of have to pick up their own facets, but I think Freddie is just trying to, he's not necessarily tired, but he feels like he's stuck in a Shazam shadow. That's why he goes out on a lot of those little missions by himself, because he's like, look, I can do this myself. And no matter what they all do, it goes sideways the most spectacular way possible every time. This is true. And is it just me or in that initial fight, we saw them, we saw everybody involved in with the famous bridge. Mm -hmm. It almost, Is it just me or did it seem like almost Freddie was trying to sabotage the mission at one point? I, I, I saw him breaking some of the, 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 the uh, con connecting uh, 
wires or cables of the bridge. I'm like, why is he doing that? I think, you know, he was trying to maybe make it a little more intense, but what got me was you're like, oh, look, the bridge is almost fixed and it's getting better and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it's completely destroyed. And you're like, but, but why couldn't you show me? Like that was literally, could have been like two more minutes or three more minutes of that, that you could have cut out of um, human Freddy in jail. Cause I'm not going to spoil too much of the movie later, but in prison at l- that later stage, you could have cut two or three minutes off of that one and two or three minutes off the other ones. Because all you get is that cutscene of them on the news where like, and there's the bridge or what's left of it. And you're like, well, how did it go sideways? Like why the, show us them not working well together other than just hand waving and like having just a little tickler saying, you know, the bridge fell down or broke or whatever happened. You don't know. This is true. And it is. And I guess at the same time, Billy is trying to also do some damage control because of the fact that him and the rest of the team don't have a particularly good rep when it no. comes to saving people and, you know, and doing and doing good deeds. Cause obviously they're trying their best. But it seems like, like you said, a lot of their missions fall flat or they don't complete them entirely. And they're able to mostly save people, but the damage to property is insurmountable and just goes sky high, no pun intended. But mm. And so I guess at the same time, that might also be why Billy has doubts about whether he's a good superhero or not. Because when it comes to these big missions, as decent as a leader he is, you can tell, obviously, he does have... A, he does have a lot more to learn, but I mean, you know, he's a kid, he's a teenage kid at this point who's tasked with these incredible powers. But the fact that the Philadelphia press is not on his side either on this. His ego and make him think that he's doing things. He's going in the right direction, if you will. It almost gave me the uh, Spider-Man vibe with Jane Jonah Jameson, where he, you know, chastises spider-man every time he sees him well the philadelphia newspaper kind of like took that same vein we're like oh here comes the uh frightful five or the shazam family or whatever you know each time they screwed something up they gave him a new nickname and you're like oh okay and he's you know taking that to heart because he's a kid i get it you know he hasn't gotten that adult skin yet so he's still very sensitive to you know being critiqued and whatnot I think so too. And, you know, and like I said, I can't blame the kids trying to do the right thing and, you know, right. trying to grow into this role of a fearless leader. And it doesn't help you. Know, the, the rest of your team are teenagers as well. So it's kind of like herding wild cats. So uh, oh, exactly. I think, <laughs> I think by and large, Billy's doing a decent job and has to kind of deal with everybody, everybody else doing their own thing. So uh, anything else on, on Billy and Freddie you wanted to add? Keith? <laughs> no, I think we, uh, we picked those two apart fairly well. <laughs> Sounds good to me. The only thing I, I will, I will add is uh, I do like that. Freddie does have his own powers outside of being, you know, past the Shazam family. Like when he is talking to Shazam, the wizard, the, the, the his his quips and him knowing all about magic and what have you. I, I do like that because he is literally the nerd of the family, as we saw in the first film as well. He he's very widely read on on superherodom, on powers, on magic. And so I do like that he got that that's a part of his character to shine in this film too. 
So I guess, and granted we don't get too much of them, I guess we could take a quick look at the rest of our superheroes when it comes to, the, once again, the Shazam family. We have, of course, Grace Carolyn Curry as Mary Bromfield, Ross Butler and Ian Chen as Eugene Choi, DJ Catrona and Jovan Armand as Pedro Peña, and Megan Good and Faith Herman as Dala Dudley. So as I mentioned before, Keith, we don't maybe get as much of these guys as we did in the first one, but what did you make of the rest of the Shazam family? I mean, they were there. They, they, you know, did what they had to do to move the story along. I, I do wish they had included a little bit more of them in the movie. And yes, I, I get it. this was more of like a Billy Freddy kind of movie. But the fact that Mary is trying to find herself, she's the oldest, and she wants to go to do to go to college and do more adult activities. And then you know you have the one brother who has come out to the family as being gay, and everybody knew that. You know a little bit more, and everybody had their own little struggles. You know the youngest having her struggles. Granted, she's like five, so her biggest struggle is which is her favorite unicorn. But the fact of the matter is, they were very hyper focused on Billy and Freddie. That dynamic that. When the rest of them were on screen, those few moments at a time, you could see the the family dynamic or dysfunction, as it were. But at the same time, they did try to help each other out, and that would be nice to kind of see a little bit more of them in the individual you know worlds that they live in. I think so. I mean, because yeah, that, that's why, as I said, because obviously you're dealing with with a pretty big cast when it comes to heroes. So I suppose, like you mentioned, um, Sandberg decided to focus more, you know, as we mentioned on on Billy and Freddie, and have these guys around sometimes for comedic relief, sometimes for commentary. Because like we, when we see what they've done to the Rock of Eternity, if oh, Shazam God. the if Shazam the Wizard could see that, because I don't think he gets to see it. He would probably be like, what the heck did you do to the seven deadly sins? And why has it become like a, a big arcade? I get it. They're kids. So, of yes. course, they're going to add their personal touch, if you will, to the, the Rock of Eternity. But it, it was like, oh, my God. I'm like, yeah, if, uh, if Shazam the Wizard were here to see this or anybody else, it looks, it looks really, really bad. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. So since you've brought up the Rock of Eternity, I figured I was going to save this a little bit more toward the end. Is I just, I, oh, like you said, them just, just figuring everything and you know painting the statues of the seven deadly sins in the Rock of Eternity. And then you have the one brother off exploring the doors of infiniteness because there is a room with a bajillion doors that he's going to exploring. And then meanwhile, was it... Um, was it, I mean, it was Eugene Pedro? who was doing that. Eugene was doing yeah, the Eugene was doing that. And then Pedro was the one who found the library of infinite books with the special pen. And he yeah. didn't tell anybody about this. Like, I would be like, dude, look what I found. Like, that literally would have been the first thing that happened. Like, you find this, you find this pen that does your homework, which I thought was actually kind of funny. Um, I literally have been running out like, dude, dude, like losing my marbles. Because, again, you got one going through all the doors and then one finding this random room that nobody knew about. And I feel like Mary would have loved that because she is very much the book nerd of the group. And she was even mad that she didn't know about this. She was like, like, what the hell, essentially? So, and I like how they kind of went back to that room several times through the movie. But just it was them being them and them exploring. And yeah, I definitely I cringed when I saw that uh Rock of Eternity and them sitting on the, like the chairs and then uh, I did like the little sticky notes on each door, though. Like, don't go here, nightmare fuel, fairyland, and like all the different ones. I was like, 
that was a nice touch. I, I do say just because I know I wouldn't remember all that stuff, even though if they all have the wisdom of Solomon, shouldn't they know what's behind all the doors? Possibly. Yeah. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> well, you make a good point because, because uh, yeah, I guess they do kind of get to almost show off their, their, their personalities when it comes to stylizing, if you will, their area or their corner of the rock of eternity. Like you said, uh, when we have Eugene, who is very much the, once again, the, the tech guy and the tech nerd. And so he's the guy who's mapping out the, the rock of eternity and the, and the various doors that lead to wherever. So he's having a whale of a time doing that. And yeah, you know, Pedro using the, the magic pen to do his homework. And I love, I did, I did find it rather hilarious when they're writing letters to the daughters of Atlas. Oh, the pen's great. literally writing everything they say. And he's like, no, no, scratch that. And you seem scratch that. He's like, no, 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 start all over again. And then whatever. And you're like, all right, that was, it was entertaining the first couple of times. But then, you know, as they kind of kept going back, you would have thought Billy would have learned to just not say things or filter himself in his head or something. Yeah, I guess so. I guess at a certain point, he probably, he probably should have realized that, but yeah, it was, it was a fun little gag and, uh, you know, yes. it got a laugh out of me. It got a laugh out of the, uh, my fellow audience members, uh, as we were watching it. So, so we were having, we were having fun. It's like I said, it's, it's very much kids being kids. And I suppose as adults, we can, relate to that when we were younger saying oh i wish i had i had had a magic pen that did my homework for me <laughs> yes or this kind of thing so we can definitely relate i think and also i guess the kids that you know parents bring their movies to would probably be very much all about oh man that is so cool i wish i could do that and I have my own lair with a giant tv screen and all this kind of thing so it is as i mentioned before it's very much kids being kids Mary, I, I was wondering about Mary here because I get that she does want to pursue a high education just like mm -hmm. she'd wanted to in the first film. And she's mentioning the whole thing. She's, I think she's also very concerned when it comes to their foster parents because she was mentioning the fact that when you turn 18, the state no longer provides money for you foster for the foster parents to, to cover that child's expenses. And she's mentioning that to Billy saying, you know, when you become 18, you know, you won't be able to, I think it's 18. I 18, yes. So. Yeah, so when you're 18, yeah, of course, because then you can be tried as an adult. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, um, and she's like, you know, haven't you seen how much the, the our parents are struggling and, and so on? And you have to think about that and make your own way in life and almost abandon childish things. Granted, being a superhero, I wouldn't see it as being a childish thing. But still, she's kind of like, I guess, what do you want to do in your life outside of doing the Shazam stuff, I guess is what she's saying. Or possibly Mary's growing out of it in the sense that she's not as interested or feel or doesn't necessarily feel the call of a superhero. Yeah, no, I would agree with that to a certain extent. She is kind of progressed past that initial like, ooh, ah, okay, well, now I have bills to pay. Like, I, I need to keep a roof over my head, the lights on. So it's almost the, the Spider-Man conundrum. You know, Peter Parker wants to be Spider-Man, but he also has bills to pay, so he has to get a job. And she knows as we'll eventually, you know, Billy will learn that, you know, this stuff isn't going to go on forever. Eventually, you're going to have to grow up or mature and in doing so you will need to you know pay your own bills you know do what you got to do and i have no idea how much the parents get paid but yes that's going to stop you know being paid to your, you know our foster parents in a few more months so basically you're just going to be a burden on them she didn't yeah. say that in that many words but essentially that's what like the very subtle thing was like 
we're now they're now going to get I'll make it up five hundred dollars less a month for you. So you're now they're in the hole five hundred bucks. That's right, and which is probably why Mary wants to obviously move out because she's like you know they don't have the money to cover me anymore. So I should either try and bring in some extra cash to the house or literally move out and go my own way. So she, you know, which I think, as I said, is a selfless thing because she she sees the plight of her parents, who, of course, we find out, though, had literally bought the house at yes. that point, which obviously gets destroyed by the dragons. They're like, OK, whatever. I don't know if, if the dragon damage is covered or how insured they were. But um, that said... I, I I did like um I did appreciate Mary's thing and granted you know Billy already has enough angst going on but she just added more to it right that's all all he needed was that little extra like oh yeah now you're really gonna be a pain in the ass to the family you're like oh that's what he already has self doubt and then you throw that on the fire and that's you know not helpful no not at all but uh, but yeah so I mean I I see what she was trying to do but like I said already Billy is not in the best place psychologically speaking no and not Mary's at all. like yeah and Mary's like. You're going to soon be a burden to your parents because they, they won't get money for you anymore. So, I mean, I'm sure that is also playing in the back of Billy's mind, probably as the film progresses and probably by the end of the movie. But I guess I guess we'll see. Yeah. When it came to the others, we didn't get too much of them. Other It was it was it was in the sweet little moment of Pedro coming out and they were like, yeah, we know. Like, Cause you know, it was, I thought it was nice. It, it gave him his little moment to shine, if you will. And Dala, obviously the youngest is, is a very sweet little girl. She's very cute. And a whole concept of loving unicorns and, the, and giving them Skittles when the real <sighs> unicorns show up. The murder unicorns. Those were, it was so dumb, but amazing at the same time. I thought they were going to go to the rock eternity to get unicorns from like the fairyland. Nope. Nope. We're just going to go find them in a, a what is it? A, a carport. And they're just going to be these evil, like demon unicorns, which was par for the course for everybody else. And it was great with the taste the rainbow. Yeah. Cause she, I, I said it and literally two seconds later here, taste the rainbow. And I'm like, I'm going to shut up now. Cause I literally just had the same exact line pop into my head. <laughs> but yeah i'm glad she got to live her little fantasy and dream of right. uh, having the unicorns and because apparently they're supposed to be the most ferocious beasts of them all according to the, the to, to the wizard the but, um, the evil ones which i thought was amazing because they were the top of the food chain out of all the, the beasts the minotaurs and everything else unicorns are the most vicious beasts which i thought was kind of entertaining it was definitely entertaining, and uh, you know, amongst all the other the other various creatures we got, I was like, yeah, and I like the design, I like the concept, so that was a, that was definitely a fun moment. So I guess uh, if we you, you don't have anything else uh, about these kids, uh, Keith, uh, we can move on to our next character. Yep, no, I'm good. Okay, so I guess we did mention him, so let's take a closer look at our wizard. We have, of course, returning Mr. Jaiman Honsu as Shazam the wizard whom we actually thought was dead so what did you make of the return of the wizard so i i'm a big fan of his i liked him in guardians of the galaxy i've seen you know over the years he's popped up in random movies i i, I think this kind of did a little bit of a disservice to him because you know the first movie you feel like he gave is all where he's like all right he's dead and you're like oh it's really impactful he was the the colson from avengers to for Shazam and the family to kind of you know rally up and get their shit together for lack of a better term and then just to have him pop up in a jail in um this bubble dimension 
I guess it was, right? Dimension would be a good one. Wherever the Greek gods are, you know, he somehow gets saved and brought into that dimension, even though there's supposed to be no magic left, which didn't really make any sense then. Um, and they kind of used him as kind of a mentor, MacGuffin story point, all in like one little mashup, because depending on what scene he popped up in or what point in the movie, he was uh, the wizard. So he had to put the magic staff back together again. Uh, he had to give uh, Shazam his pep talk or, you know, explain like with the unicorns that they're the vicious beasts on the planet or out of the magical being. So he was there to kind of do his thing and also help move the story along. I did like at the end of the movie where he had acclimated to the real world kind of easily, but that's the whole different issue. But I did appreciate that he got a good send off at the end where he's like, I'm going to go travel the world. I'm going to go do my thing. If you need me, I'll be around, but I'm not going to be here. Yeah, I thought it was a it was a cool thing, and and I agree with you. I'm a big fan of Jaimon Honsu's. I mean, I've seen him in multiple multiple things, and he's always he's always uh, brought uh, brought uh, his A game to whatever he's he's been on. And yeah, I was kind of surprised at first because when I saw him return, I was literally like, "But you died!" I was like, <laughs> "Right." I was, like, I was the same. I had the same reaction that Billy had because I'm like. Last time we saw you, you had kind of turned to ash and kind of like said your farewells. But uh, I guess, you know, if you can get Jaimon Honsu again, they're like, yeah, why not? Let's bring him back. And yeah, uh, well, exactly. So, I mean, I did like the dynamic between him and Freddie when they were in the cell. And, uh, you know, the wizard is clearly making fun of Freddie because oh, he knows he knows his name is Freddie Freeman, but he's just giving him a hard time because he can. And uh, I think he it's almost like a tough love situation in the sense I think he sees Freddie's potential, but he's like, I'm going to kind of pick at you a little bit and give you a little bit of the tough love, a little bit of boot camp to where you, you can get to where you need to be. And then and, and I think the dynamic with the, the chemistry was there between between our two actors and the characters and just seeing them traverse the world was was just fun <laughs> for me it was it was great and you know and, and freddie's saying but do you really have any magic and he lists off everything he knows about magic and and the wizards kind of look at him going like what the hell you know kid what were you teaching your uh, grandma to suck eggs here it's like what the hell but, uh, uh, i like that he's like oh well let's cast a spell and shazam's like oh what wait what are you talking about like that's that's not how this works at all i, I did like that just him looking at him like are you crazy like I'm the wizard Shazam. I gave you your powers, and you're gonna be like, "We can do this." No, we can do that. And I get it. It was a lot of like Freddy nervous energy, and yeah. you know when you get that nervous energy, you just can't shut the hell up. He had that moment where he had just been locked up and met the wizard Shazam. Yeah, that's right. So he's uh, he's just like all over the place. I did also like that they added more to the lore in the sense that we find out that apparently it was the wizards who had seen the the daughters of Atlas as a threat. And had literally, you know, closed them off and put them under this dome, if you will, or, or who had locked them off into this bubble world. And mm -hmm. because obviously they were uh, they were afraid of what the Daughters of Atlas could do and the destruction that they could bring. And thus, obviously, were able to get their powers. And hence why one of the, the letters in, uh, in Shazam is the A for Atlas. And that's, you know, because they, they were able to extrapolate from all these various gods the power that then 
goes to the champion, if you will. So it was, I did like that backstory. I thought it was, uh, it was informative and it enriched our, uh, the, the lore behind the character. So that was, that was a fun thing, which was also, I think, one of the reasons why we got this guy. I mean, granted, the book, one of the books in the Rock of Eternity explains all this, but, uh, but you know, which I think, I think, yeah, I did like the fact of the daughters of Atlas, Atlas is their father. Well, that makes sense, but <laughs> that was that was kind of funny, as silly as a, a line as it was. It was it was fun, but yeah, I and and like you said, I like the fact that now he has to he's adapting to the modern world, or and you know, got himself a haircut, looking really nice, and he's off to travel. So who knows? We might bump in, bump into him again if James Gunn decides to keep these people. So I guess uh, maybe. I guess we'll, we'll see. Maybe <laughs> that's probably a big maybe. But uh, I did like what I did like what uh, what our Shazam wizard brought to this. So mm. I guess we can then move on to our three antagonists and daughters of Atlas. Of course, we have Rachel Ziegler as Anthea or Anne, Helen Mirren of all people, and which I was, which put a huge smile on my face as Hespera, and Lucy Liu as Calypso. So, what did you make of our three sisters, Keith? It was very weird to see them as the sisters because, as is pointed out in the movie, the age difference between the three of them is comical. Because yes. you know, uh, Anne is like I don't know, sixteen, or looks like she's like fifteen or sixteen, and that's why she's able to get by in high school, and nobody really batting an eye. And then you have Calypso, which you know she looks like she's you know 40 or 50 and then you have Helena's character which looks like is old enough to be both of their grandmothers so it was very amusing to see them on screen i will say the chemistry between the three of them was great it, they definitely gave me the vibe of three sisters in three different age groups like with myself i have two siblings one's older and one's younger and i'm the middle child so it's kind of funny to see that dynamic um in terms of Lucy Liu's character, Calypso, going off the rails and going full-on baddie. Not really a surprise, because that was very much like a middle child syndrome scenario where, you know, I have to wrong our father and blah, blah, blah. And I could see that coming a mile away. Just the way she was talking and the way she was, like, kind of digging into the humans every time she saw them. She's like, they're useless. They're evil and blah, blah, blah. Like She blamed the entire human race for what the wizard Shazam and the other wizards had done. But meanwhile... This entire human population, all 7 billion people, have no idea who they are and have nothing to do with anything. But she, you know, holds everybody accountable. So I wasn't surprised that she went full evil and how Helena's Hespa, Hespia, Hespera, um, Hespera, how she kind of had evil, but she also had remorse when Billy talked to her. She's like, yeah, I see the error in my ways. And then Anna she never really was evil. She was a goddess, but she didn't have the malice that, you know, Lucy's character had. She, you know, found love, which, you know, is rare in terms of considering the fact that they're literally the last three goddesses, uh, you know, in the universe. So I, they played each other, played each part very well. And the chemistry and the dynamic between the three of them was done very well, especially the scene where they're fighting in the throne room over what they want to do with the seed. So that was a fun watch too, because you could kind of see the rift beginning between the three of them where one's like, well, you know, we need to save our world. The other one's like, well, we need to blow up their planet. And the third one's like, but I like them. They're cute. I want to keep one as a pet. 
<laughs> so you can kind of see the different facets of uh, each personality. It's kind of like when you get people of three different generations in a room together, their perspectives are all different on how the world works. This is very much that representation. Oh, I, I, I am totally in agreement with you on that because yeah, they couldn't be more different. I guess like, you know, like three sisters most likely would be, I mean, because uh, I will say, you know, you mentioned this at the top of our review that you kind of saw one of our one of our characters being one of the villains a mile away, i.e. when Anne shows up at the school and she's all super interested in Freddy and such. Right. I I, I was like, hmm, is she possibly kind of playing a, playing a, a different game? What's what's her agenda exactly? Where's she from and what's her deal? So I was wondering if she was like a double agent and it turns out that she kind of was at first because I, I guess she'd had instructions possibly from her older sisters, from Hesper and Calypso to lure Freddy in because he was... Uh, he knew one of the the members of the Shazam family or knew, should we say, who had the powers of the champion of the powers of Atlas, the power of Atlas. So like you have to bring them in because they had this suspicion from what I gathered that the, the power had been given to a child or that a child knew one of these, uh, one of these characters. And that's what probably what Anne's role was at first was to literally kind of be the bait, if you will. And then of course, no surprise Hesper and Calypso show up, but uh, yeah, she, I don't, she doesn't necessarily want to kill them. She's just like, you know, we just want to find out what's going on and who this person is. Cause she did not know, I guess that, uh, that Freddie and should we say had the Shazam powers. And that's why she's right. horrified when she finds that out. Cause like, they're going to murder you now. So <laughs> yeah, I, right. not- I, I like just like that, that, that flip of a switch. She's like, where'd he go? And he's like, Oh, he'll be back. He's like, and then when she realizes they're the same, she's like, well, they're going to kill you now. And like, very not nonchalantly, but just very matter of fact, like you're now dead. And you're like, wait, what? I'm sorry, who what? So I like his his expression and my expression were the same, like, wait, what? Okay, that's that's about to happen. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously she doesn't, like you mentioned, Anne doesn't necessarily harbor the hatred for humans that Calypso does. And I suppose when it came to the age thing, it is an interesting concept because it almost made me think of either like the Eternals concept where they're roughly all supposed to be like a bazillion years old, but there's, right. there's some that you like Sprite who looks younger here. I guess it might be just that, that maybe they've decided to take on this form, if you will, when they are in human shape, if you will. So Hespera looks, looks like an, an older woman. Calypso looks like a 40 something year old woman and, and Anthea looks like a kid, if you will. So maybe it's just, they've decided to assume these forms when walking amongst mortals, possibly. I said that's just a, a theory I have because I guess if they're all rough, because even Anne, Anne says she's like some million years old, but you know, she looks like seven, a kid. seven million, seven, something like that. I don't remember the guy. Yeah, it was seven something, like 700 million or some, you know, ridiculous period. And then Freddie's like, oh, you're, you're, and then they had like that little kiss. And even Shazam and them were like, this is kind of awkward. The parents were like, should we stop them? That was, that was funny. That was a nice little, you know, parental jab right there. Like when you see your kids kiss for the first time, you're like, should we stop this? This is weird. Yeah. Cause then they had the ongoing theme of Shazam being madly in love with wonder woman. And you know, what a surprise who wouldn't be in love with wonder woman, but it's fair. But I did like the comment there, which is like, what is it with our kids and older women? <laughs> you know, so I think that was, a, that was the, once again, the mom said that. Yes. 
Yeah, it was kind of like a jab, I guess, because obviously Anne would be an older woman herself, as, of course, Diana is obviously too way too old to be dating Billy Batson. So, uh, you know, even Only if she went... Bit. Just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit. But uh, I did like that jab there. But yes, Anne, I think, doesn't really mean the humans harm. I think it's more a question of getting back what was theirs, taking the apple regrowing the the tree of life and then just mm -hmm. in, you know kind of like and we'll be out of your hair we're just doing right. that and we're gone you know whereas i think and hespera is i don't know where hespera maybe is prepared to cross the line to get what she wants but is but doesn't at the same time disagrees with calypso we can't plant the apple here because it will be an abomination and no surprise it is an abomination because you know, all these, all these uh, monsters start sprouting out of the ground. And so obviously uh, Hesper and Calypso come to come to butt heads on that because I think Hesper is also the idea of we're just going to take what is ours and leave. But of course, if we have to kill a few humans along the way, fine by me, but we're getting what we want. We're not here to annihilate the world. Yet, I believe it is Hesper who creates the famous dome over Philadelphia. So... So she's kind of like, maybe I want you guys to feel what we did because we were trapped in this kind of dome. Now you guys get to feel what it's like. So it's kind of her way of, 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 of taking revenge. But at the same time, I don't think she necessarily wants to kill uh, the humans, but you know, she does imprison them. And it was, a, it was an interesting touch that I was like, what are we watching here? Is this under the dome? Because it was very I thought, reminiscent. I thought the same that. thing, actually. I was like, I, I've seen this before. This is been on TV. <laughs> exactly i'm like okay i guess we're doing under the dome for a little bit fine by me but uh so i think yeah uh, hespero was mainly it was mainly that whereas calypso yeah she's just so bloodthirsty there's no end to this woman i mean we see it from the top of the movie to way the way things progress she's completely psychotic and then wants to take revenge in blood like you said because the fact of you know, we can't trust humans. They did terrible things to us and uh, they, they just uh, deserve to be destroyed. And so she is all about cre creating havoc and panic and destroying as much as she can, because in her mind, she's literally avenging what was what was done to their father. If you was like, we're avenging him in the name of Atlas. And so she's she very much kind of, like you said, turns does a heel turn and goes completely evil. And then, you know, of course, we get the whole dragon thing and what have you. So. The wood I dragon. think <laughs> I, I love the, the wood dragon was actually kind of cool, but um, I do think that uh, the yeah, it's uh, that that was that was mainly the, the thing was the true villain, if you were at the end of the day, was Calypso over possibly Hesper and, and Anthea, who were more antagonists and just were trying to get what they wanted. It wasn't like we want to mm -hmm. take over the world, it wasn't anything like that. It's just like we want to get back what was taken from us, and we and that's that, that's it. So they made some interesting characters, I found. I mean, I know there were some people who wanted to, a different villain or a different antagonist, but by and large, I like these. But I think we should address the giant wooden dragon in the room. <laughs> which, yes, which, was a big, which was a big part of this film. What did you make of it? I mean, were you, were you cool? Were, were you happy with seeing a huge wooden dragon? No, it was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I was cool with the giant dragon. That I was 100% fine with. But even Shazam makes a point to say that, oh, look, you're a giant wooden dragon. That's kind of a weird flex. Like, exactly. Literally, you wield lightning. You shoot lightning at a wood dragon, he's going to burst into flames, or theoretically would burst into flames. You know, his weakness, termites. So, 
I was kind of like the design was cool. His powers were actually really cool. I like that instilling fear into a person. Although if you have a enough willpower, which theoretically the entire Shazam family should have because they have the courage of Achilles, but mm-hmm. whatever. Um, the fact that you can with enough willpower over, you know, overpower that, you know, fear. Mm-hmm. That was a cool kind of twist. I like the dragon. Even like when you first see him in the cave, that was a cool menacing. You're like, well, I'm going to die now. Um, and they had that, you know, the dread washed over them and they were kind of resigned to it. I, I like how they introduced him, even how they worked him into the story, you know, bring him through the door, destroying the family's house. And that's where the joke with the, do we have insurance for this came up, you know, how it was used and how powerful he is was great because dragons, kind of get a bad rep sometimes as either being like not powerful enough or being too powerful. I think it was that right balance because, you know, Shazam was able to hold his own to a certain extent against him, but also get his butt handed to him a little bit. So I, I think it was a good, happy balance. Oh, I definitely agree. And, you know, the the fact, like you said, the dragon used these psychological powers plays a lot into into, I guess, also uh, Calypso's power set as well, because she loves to manipulate people, as Mm -hmm. you see throughout the course of the movie, where she whispers something in their ear and is able to control them. Like, she literally has the guy walk off uh, the building and kill himself, and she's like, I've forgotten how easily they splatter, you know? Yeah, that was traumatic and funny at the same time. You're like, I want to be disturbed, but I'm laughing at the same time, just because she's like, I forgot all about it. Like, nonchalantly, no big deal, like... Not the first time she's done this, but has it's been a minute and has forgotten how easy it is. Yeah, which I think plays to, like I said, her kind of she almost enjoys inflicting pain and death on 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 humanity because they're literally their playthings. That was why the wizard stepped in in the first place. Was when we obviously uh, hear about the book uh, when we uh, when our kids read the book about the story of why the daughters of Atlas were consigned off to this other dimension, if you will, was because they were literally treating humans like their playthings. So they would, you know, have the power of life and death of them. So like if it was, you know, a Saturday and Calypso was like, yeah, how many should I kill today? I guess I'll have three run into a, a burning building, one jump off a cliff and one drown themselves, you know, something like that. So she might've, might've been, you know, in that kind of mood. Cause that's a, that's the vibe I got, but so, yeah, and it plays into her power set because the dragon, like you said, is both powerful on a physical level because it can blow this blue fire, but it also installs fear. And almost like it's almost like a Dementor, if you will, to use a Harry Potter <laughs> reference where yes, it literally that... sucks, sucks out your fear or your hope. No, that's a, that's a good analogy. I, I got like the Harry Potter vibes a couple of times in the Rock of Eternity, like when they were in the library with the, the, the pen or the quill. That very much Harry Potter-ish, or the special magic paper that if you tell it to go find somebody, it turns into a bird and flies away and finds that person. That was very reminiscent of the letters in Harry Potter. So I feel like they they were inspired by Harry Potter to do certain things in a certain fashion. I think so too. And and you, you know, have I know have praised DC multiple times for the the magic side of things because you feel that it's a little bit more developed if you were more rich. Then the, yes. the Marvel, and I like that we definitely delved into quite a bit of the magical side of things here. Maybe not as dark as one would like, but I did like that they are addressing that there's a lot of magic within the DC world. And yeah, I mean, I, I like the fight with the dragon. I thought it was a formidable uh, villain, like you said, because uh, he does, he almost causes Billy to die because Billy has to literally 
commit the ultimate sacrifice of flying at the dragon with the staff, yelling Shazam and hoping that that, that will be it. But uh, yeah, so it made for a good villain. And plus, we also got these mythological characters, spr- monsters sprouting out from underground, like minotaurs and chimeras and all sorts of stuff. And I, being a huge Greek mythology buff, I was loving that. I'm like, this is really cool. It almost reminded me of, even though it's not my favorite movie, but it reminded me of this, of Ghostbusters. When when you have ghosts going all over town, you know, in every form and shape, just literally running amok. And this okay, was yeah. very much the vibe I got when it came to these mythological creatures, you know, like, like I said, like the Minotaurs and the Chimeras and what have you. So it was, it was a, it was a cool little moment that uh, because you planted the apple on earth, it will literally bring forth these horrible things. So I wonder, is that commentary maybe that earth is so rotten to the core <laughs> that it will just bring crap out. If you plant a, a godly apple into the, into the soil. I mean, I, that, that's, it's possible. I didn't, you know, that that was not something I thought of until literally just now. But yes, the the human race is so corrupt that the purest um, seed of life they can corrupt, which is really kind of messed up. It's funny that you talking about Shazam flying into the dragon reminded me of Superman flying at Doomsday in Batman v Superman. Totally like the same rip, same vibe, same everything. Didn't think of that until literally just now. That's why I might have been like, I kind of was like, ugh, a little bit when I saw it. That's why. Well, I mean, I wonder whether that was accidentally on purpose. Because uh, because being obviously part, still part of the Snyderverse, if you will, it could mm-hmm. have been a nod to that. I would not be surprised if it was. So because, of course, we're still within that universe for now. Because, you know, obviously the James Gunn universe has not taken over just yet. But, um, but yeah, I, that was why I was like, wow, interesting that if you if you put... A golden apple into the into the into Earth's soil. That's what you get. So um, I suppose, yeah, we have to mend our ways and hopefully can breed a better tree of life. What can I say? So, <laughs> yeah. so, we need to do better, or else the guys are gonna murder all, everybody. Exactly, exactly. So, so yeah, I, I was happy with the dragon, and then of course, after uh, Billy is seemingly dead, he's buried, and uh, you know we see the wizard Shazam being kind of all forlorn. It's like. He was a great guy. He was a great god, and so on. And only a goddess could possibly bring the staff, but put the staff whole again, and and bring the garden back. And lo and behold, we get Wonder Woman magically. Which, yeah, because you know we had seen her earlier. I think it was like in a dream of Billy's that he was out having dinner with her. But yes. the camera made sure to never show her face. Kind right. of like with Superman in the post credit scene, the first Shazam film. So I'm like, are they doing? They are they doing the same thing they did with that cameo where we, it's somebody in a Wonder Woman costume, but it's not Gal Gadot. And I was so glad that it was Gal Gadot. I, I thought it was funny in the dream sequence they put Shazam's face on her body, and you're just like, oh, dude! And like I had, this, I think all of us in the theater had the same reaction because we were not expecting that when they turned and panned to her face to see, and you know, Shazam to have that same, you know, like oh my god expression. I think was perfect because that was literally like everybody at the same time just whoa. Yeah, because uh, Billy was kind of like bring back her pretty face because they were like, yeah, where's Gal Gadot's face? You know, but uh, but I was so glad. That Gal Gadot actually did make an appearance here as Wonder Woman, set things to right, brought Billy back to life. 
And, you know, he's obviously all, still super lovestruck because, you know, he is Gal Gadot and we know she's a very That's attractive her. woman, of course. But uh, and so, you know, she does her whole thing of saying, you know, there are still apparently gods in the world and monsters, which maybe might postulate where we're going from here. But then, you know, obviously, then she walks off and everybody's hunky-dory. But so before we get to our mid-credit and post-credit scenes, Keith, did you see this uh, Wonder Woman cameo coming? And if not, uh, what did you what did you make of it? Uh, I, I had heard about the cameo, so I wasn't really surprised. I actually thought it was going to be one of the post-credit scenes. I wasn't expecting that to be the very ending of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you mentioned the cameos. Did you catch the cameo to the guy who played little billy from the 70s tv show oh i did not he's you in did this? not yes so there's a scene where they cut to an older gentleman black hair or dark hair he's got a red shirt on with the co- the yellow um collar he oh, played right. he's the guy who calls him captain marvel yeah he played him in the tv show in the 70s that's him as an adult now wow yeah because that was when shazam was still known as captain marvel Yup, he he's like the Lou Ferrigno cameo in this movie, and oh, like nice. myself and somebody else in the movie, they were like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" And my girlfriend was sitting next to me. She's like, "What?" I was like, "That's a dude who used to play Shazam as a kid." Oh my god, TV show! Like we, I was losing my mind. And yes, I will do that when like I catch that one rando, you know, holy crap moment of any movie, especially like I did that in Ant Man and uh, Wasp when I recognized the voice for. Uh, Modoc, I did the same thing. I was flipping out and it was a private screening, so nobody cared. So yeah, I, I I freaked out. I was like, oh my God. And I had to explain when they cut back to him again who that guy was. And she was like, Oh, all right. And like, not a big deal, but you know, for all of us diehard fans to see him, you're like, dude, A, I didn't know he was still alive. And B, that's really cool. They brought him up. Oh, I, I totally agree. Yes, because I remember having seen some some uh, some scenes from the the captain marvel tv show from way back when where there was like the wizard going all you have to do is say my name shazam and so mm-hmm. <laughs> and wow i'm amazed that that is that is the og billy batson I oh that is that. that is amazing yeah, and he was the old captain marvel that's why he made that good captain marvel and anybody who's a fan of it was like wait so yeah, it was good times. I I'm surprised you didn't catch that reference. I I would I was saving that one for you. I was like, ooh, I'm gonna ask him. I'm gonna ask him. I, I was waiting for either you to bring it up or give me that little segue, which was perfect. And you did. Well, there you go. You did. You you yeah. I uh, you definitely. I'm glad you brought it up because uh, that was something else, which kind of I don't know how it landed with my theater fellow theater audience because. When we also know that that uh, Billy's trying to find a name for himself when it comes to his character, because mm-hmm. um, he still hasn't been name checked as Shazam. And when we get the Captain Marvel joke, a lot of folks in the theater were laughing, and I was like, "Are they laughing because they think it's a dig at Marvel, as in Captain Marvel Carol Danvers, or do they know that Captain Marvel was actually the re- the original name for Shazam?" I'm thinking they probably some of them knew. But it's hard to say. Um, I think I, I think it might. I think they might know. No, that's a good one. I don't since you know we were all nerds in there. We, you know, myself and somebody else were huge nerds, so we got it. Um, and you know, the manager got it. So some of us did get it. In terms of if the broader audience will, I'd say it's a fifty-fifty. You know, depending on the age range of who's watching this. Like if I sat uh, my girlfriend's kids in front of this and they watched it, they probably wouldn't get the reference. 
or they think it was a dig at, at the MCU. Exactly. You know, so they might think, oh, he's making fun of like, you know, Carol Danvers is in Captain Marvel from there mm-hmm. because that's how it's, it was just a, just a thought of mine. But uh, I was very happy to see Wonder Woman. I'm always happy to see Wonder Woman because, you know, just like, Bill, just like Billy, of course, I also have a major crush on Gal Gadot. And, Who uh, doesn't? That's what I'm saying. It's kind of hard not to um, not to not to be um, not to be fall madly in love with Gal Gadot or swim when she shows up. But I was it was a nice moment. And it was a cool little moment you know, to, to see her because Lord knows when we'll see her again since the uh, once again, the Snyderverse is coming to an end this year with the Aquaman sequel. So uh, who knows if if, uh, if Wonder Woman, if Gal will return and will reprise her role as, as Wonder Woman. Hopefully she will. I know she's not doing the third Wonder Woman film because that was turned down by Gunn and his uh, and his fellow CEO. But uh, he's co-CEO, I guess we could say. Oh, yes, so, correct. So, so I guess, um, I guess we'll have to see what what happens when it comes to woman, Wonder Woman there. But it was a nice little moment. So I guess we can get to our mid-credit and post-credit scenes. Um, so I guess starting with our mid-credit scene, Billy, of course, as Shazam, is happily playing shooting gallery when none other than Amelia Harcourt and John Economos. From Peacemaker show up. Peacemaker, yep. Yeah, they show up from Peacemaker and they want to recruit him on behalf of Amanda Waller to join the Justice Society. However, they, of course, end up leaving in annoyance after he accepts. But when he finds out it's not the Justice League, but the (laughs) Justice Society, and he's giving them potential alternative names for the Justice Society. So uh, what did you make of seeing Economos and Harcourt in this and uh, and, this little mid-credit scene of ours. It's kind of bittersweet because you don't know if he's going to, you know, be part of the extended universe. Is he going to show up at Peacemaker maybe? You, you know, because they've already said that the Flash is basically the reset of the DC universe, we may never see him again. So it seemed kind of like a wasted opportunity because then at the same time, you're like, well, why don't they try recruiting him sooner? And then he could have fought Black Adam. So it's like that double-edged sword and if they're part of the justice society why weren't they in philadelphia when everything went sideways so it Mm. it actually kind of opens up a can of worms as to like why didn't they help or what were they doing when this is all going on because this takes place over the course of several days it wasn't like a 45 minute thing or like an hour it's i'll make it up two or three maybe even heck four or five days so it's been a week Nobody, none of the superheroes show up that he rattles off in the beginning of the movie, or even worse, the Justice Society, who's also apparently now part of this universe, they didn't show up either. So literally, everybody just sat on their thumbs and be like, all right, let's see what the kids got. Like, so you were fine with sacrificing all these people? Cool. All right. (laughs) Well, I guess it is Amanda Waller, so it would not surprise me. All right, true story. But I, I will also say, yes, it's because it's true because uh, Wonder Woman does show up just to, I guess, create the garden and bring Billy back to life. But other than that, she doesn't show up to battle the dragon. Maybe because she's like, you guys have this. I'm going to let you guys do your thing. You know, right. oh, I'm over yeah. here doing a thing. I got some stuff going on. You guys got this. Yeah, exactly. So so maybe maybe that's why uh, why uh, Diana did not intervene and only showed up later. But uh, I guess she, she was probably around. Maybe she was watching from afar and just seeing... If these guys really need help, I will sh- I will uh, jump into the fight. But it, it looks like they, they they've got this handled. So so I guess that that was maybe her point of view. 
Now, my theory on this is since we do get two characters from Peacemaker, which of course will be continuing because a, a second season has been announced. So like you said, it could be a way to bring Shazam into Peacemaker or possibly into the Gunverse because of the fact that we're bringing in these two characters who, like I said, are big staples on Peacemaker. So this might be Gunn's way of like, we're not doing away with Shazam just yet. We're going to keep him around possibly for a bit see what happens, and uh, and then maybe go from there. So that did give me a little bit of hope, seeing these 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 particular characters show up. Because had it just been the post-credit, the other post-credit scene, which I will mention, which we'll talk about here shortly, I might have thought, okay, we might never see a third Shazam film. <laughs> That's fair. But, but I, I, this gives me hope. But uh, like, like you said, it remains to be seen whether it was just like, we're going to throw this in and then never talk about this again. And never bring Shazam in, or might mention him in passing. He might never grace the screen again when it comes to the Gunburst. But I guess it, uh, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But we also did get another another post credit scene in this case, where we go back to an incarcerated Doctor Savannah who encounters Mister Mind once again. And apparently it's been a couple of years now since uh, Mr. Mind said he'd go off and do stuff and come back and help and break Savannah out. And of course it ends with Mr. Mind saying that they're getting closer and closer and, uh, and he's going, he still has a few things to do and he crawls off to in, start enacting their plan. And this of course drives Dr. Savannah to frustration. So what, what did you make of, uh, of our post credit scene? I'm mad because I want to see, <laughs> him broken out of jail and whatever grand scheme they were, you know, potentially hatching at the same time, it's a scheme with bad guys that, you know, is going to fail, but I still want to see the scheme. Like, is he going to get broken out by say like the Legion of doom, some other, you know, crazy organization is, you know, whatever. I just, I want to see him out of jail, him getting possibly different magic powers, the same ones, all kinds of stuff. Like there's so many different ways they could have gone with him as a character. I'm sad they didn't utilize him in the movie, but at the same time, I think they were expecting to save him for the third one. And he was going to be just like this shy of crazy because he'd been in jail for so long. Ah, uh, so you're like our mutual friend, Charles Skaggs and want to see more of Mr. Mind and what Mr. Mind has, it has planned. Yes. I, you know, what cracks me up is Mr. Mind makes that little crack about like how it takes me so long to get places. Yeah, dude. You're a worm. You're not a worm. You're a caterpillar. Turn into a butterfly. Fly somewhere. It'll be so much faster. <laughs> yes, this is true. Because I actually remember because Charles hasn't seen this film yet, but obviously he knows who the villains are. He's like, I would have what rather would have liked to have had a Mr. Mind, Dr. Savannah team up than the Daughters of Atlas. Hopefully that will mm. be the case if we do get a Shazam 3. We will finally get... Mr. Mind and then Dr. Savannah and like I said, possibly the Legion of Doom or something like that, because that's one of the teams that Mr. Mind is affiliated with. So, mm -hmm. uh, so we'd be nice to see. And plus I do like Mr. Mind. He's kind of fun. At least in this, the, the movie version of Mr. Mind is fun. So I'm like, yeah, I definitely want to see these, these guys again. And, and even in the first film, I think Dr. Savannah was a good villain. So it would be cool to bring back. And I think he's pretty much aside from Black Adam, one of the biggest Shazam villains for the most part, one of his most famous antagonists, right? Uh, yeah, for the most part, he, he was kind of like the, the go-to baddie, 
sort of like the Lex Luthor or, you know, whoever other big baddie you want to call. He, that was one of the, you know, handful that Shazam dealt with. Again, Shazam's kind of like the Spider-Man-ish of the magic universe. He has like a bunch of different supervillains he battles. He has his own like Sinister Six, essentially. Right. No, so here's the thing, though. If I had just seen this this post credit scene, I might have been a little bit depressed and worried because I, I, I was thinking <laughs> to myself, because yeah, I'm thinking to myself, the Gunverse is is on the horizon. Will we ever see a third Shazam film? That's why I said I'm glad we got this combination, which keeps me hopeful, but I'm still a little bit, uh, in inverted commas, concerned because there haven't been any announcements made. Granted, we might get some down the line, as 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 the year progresses, I mean, we kind of know what's in the works, but I'd be nice if at least they did salvage the Shazam franchise anyway, which might even th- thus allow Wonder Woman to do other things too, because we might even have a Wonder Woman Shazam team up, which would be an interesting one, I think. Uh, you know, <laughs> that would be kind of interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah, you know, because since you know she is, of course, confirmed the fact that she is a a demigoddess, and of course Shazam has the power of her father Zeus. So mm-hmm. there could be that whole thing going. In fact, he makes a joke of we're not yes. related though. So it's cool if we can de- we can still date. Yeah. And and, she, and and no one's her in terms. She's like, yeah, stay in your lane there, kid, and just like walks away. Granted, she does have a little smirk. So she she thought it was cute and funny. But yeah, she definitely shot him down kind of hard. <laughs> she did. But that's why I once again I definitely want to praise the writers on this because they definitely made me laugh and put a big smile on my face throughout the course of this film. Mm-hmm. Uh so so um Keith, did you have anything else you wanted to add when it came to either the the our middle post-credit scenes or our movie in general before we get to ratings? So now that we've we've spoken about this, the only thing I'm thinking is that this movie was originally supposed to come out last year, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was before the Jason Gunn, let me blow up the universe and start all over again. So all these scenes had been filmed and the Justice Society hadn't even been, you know, set up or acknowledged yet. So like, I feel like this was going to be the precursor to the Justice Society in Black Adam. And then that's why the reason why you don't see Shazam in the Justice Society is because he wants to join the Justice League and not this other B team, as it were. Hmm. which might also at the same time explain the Henry Cavill cameo mm-hmm. as well. Possibly. It would make it the fact that we're showing these other characters. And yeah, because I, I do believe this film was supposed to come out earlier, but was moved so mm-hmm. that it might be, it might be that, that maybe why we see certain things. And like you said, maybe timeline wise, this maybe would have been the first time we hear about the justice society before black Adam. That's a, that's actually a, an, in, an interesting point. That's a, that just right on everybody's right. parade right now. They're like, oh, son of, why'd you have to point that out? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, we do know that some films got jumbled around and pushed either due to COVID or for other reasons. And, you know, some were just late in production. So it's it's hard to say. But uh, I I, not, I do think that, that definitely was the case when it came to that. But other than that, uh, if we do get a third Shazam film, I'll be there for it. And hopefully... Um, Sandberg will be directing it again and have the same writers because these first two films were spot on. I'm usually, I usually am very picky when it comes to comedy in my superhero films, looking at you, Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, that, uh, <laughs> this was the right, that. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. Cause this is the right amount, I think of comedy and action to where it's not over the top. Yes. I, I can see your point when you say that maybe some jokes were hammered, hammered down to, until they were dead. 
But for the most part, they landed. I said, I had a good chuckle all the way through. I wasn't cringing and groaning like I was with uh, Love and Thunder. So it was a nice, I think it was a nice balance. Also bearing in mind, we are, we do literally have kids here playing superhero. Exactly. Which makes sense. You, you kind of have to keep that in the back of your mind. Because if you really think about the what you whittle this down to the core story is if Billy had kept this, the staff from the first movie, literally this entire movie would not have happened. <laughs> because he would have had the staff in the Rock of Eternity and they couldn't get in the Rock of Eternity. So these goddesses would theoretically or potentially be loose, but they'd have no power. So they'd be very harmless. That's right. Yeah. Cause then once again, that all falls to him again. Cause it's like, apparently it shows that at the end of the first Shazam, he just breaks the staff into, and he's just like chucks it away. And in fact, mm-hmm. all the kids are like, dude, what do you mean? You just threw it away. Yeah. They call him out on it. So again, if he had, and then that's the staff that they steal from the, whatever gallery it is from, and they don't even explain how they got there. They're like, we found this staff. I'm like, but the last time we saw it, it was in like North Dakota. Like, why is this here? So, you know, again, it, it's a minor gripe. And, but that just goes to show you like the whole, the kids being kids, they don't necessarily think that next step ahead. As an adult, we'd be like, I probably should hold on to this super dangerous weapon. I might need this again, or this could be bad in the wrong hands because you have that life experience. He's 15 or 16 and has never fought a bad guy in his life. So, you know, you can chalk that up to lack of experience, AKA the wisdom of Solomon. Exactly. Yeah, well, he's still learning anyway. I mean, you know, because he has had that that battle when he was completely unprepared with Doctor Savannah, and this is like a sort of big other moment. But uh, but yeah, it's, uh, he definitely still has ways to go. Indeed. So I guess then uh, let's get to ratings. What do yes, you sir. give this movie out of ten? So I'm torn, and you know me, I'm always torn with my scores. This is this is just like a running joke with all of our reviews. But I, I like the movie. Uh, you know, production-wise, the cast, it's a great movie. But when you think about the story at its core, it's about a kid who screwed up, essentially, and, you know, he didn't learn from his mistakes. But I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to give it a, a 7.5, because it's a fun watch. It gives you the laughs. You know, the, the random cameos are great. Um, it has mediocre rewatchability, but I would watch it for the unicorns. <laughs> well, I can't blame you for wanting to rewatch it for the unicorns. I'm I'm actually also going to give this a seven and a half out of ten. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it was a good time with movies. Uh, if it were to show up on uh, one of my you know streaming services, I most likely would watch it again. Uh, I was actually you know talking to one of my friends when I when I left this uh, left the theater who had seen the first Shazam. And I said, dude, if you enjoyed the first Shazam, you will most likely enjoy this one too. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would ever own it, but, you know, if uh, if I said if it showed up on, you know, a Netflix or what have you, and well, I guess we'll be on HBO Max most likely. But we don't get that over here. But um, if it showed up on one of those, I'd definitely rewatch it. If it's like randomly playing on TV, I'm like, yeah, I've got nothing better to watch. Let's 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 uh, let's dive into Shazam Fury of the Gods again. So, yeah, seven and a half out of ten for me. So I guess then when it comes to recommendations, Keith, did you have anything you'd like to recommend to our lovely listeners? Uh, I would recommend uh, they pick up the Shazam stories. The last couple, even, you know, pre-New 52, New 52 and all that fun stuff. They show you different writing styles and different points. Um, At one point, Shazam does lose his powers and he has to regain his abilities, but he gets powers from the new gods. So if anybody knows, you know, who the new gods are, he becomes super OP Shazam. 
and then they reboot the universe and they kind of forget all about it. But they have him still in that same young kid that fighting between the two types of stories where it's the mortal and the strongest mortal in the world. So I like them. Definitely check out the last handful of uh, Shazam comics. Well, I uh, I couldn't put it better myself. I definitely recommend those as well. They are fantastic. I'd actually uh, discovered, should we say, the new uh, version of Captain Marvel, who then became Shazam when it came to the new 52, of course. And um, I mean, I'd read stuff about him when he was Captain Marvel, and I believe it was owned by Fawcett Comics at the time, before DC were kind of like, you have to either cancel this or we're taking you to the back, we're taking you to, to court. And then, of course, DC ended up buying uh, Fawcett Comics, and so they own. Uh, Shazam, who's now known as as uh, Shazam, not Captain Marvel anymore. But uh, yeah, so I would definitely, I, I would definitely recommend those. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to to uh, anything else that comes down the pipe when it comes to Shazam or Captain Marvel related, because he's a fascinating character. And uh, you know, all about, being all about magic and stuff, he is the ultimate magic guy and one of the few who can literally stand toe to toe against Superman. Because as we often remind our listeners. One of Superman's great weaknesses is, of course, magic. So Shazam is quite the threat when it comes to fighting Superman. So bear so, that in mind, folks. Why? What I never understood, and I get why they didn't do it, but why didn't the wizard Shazam just give Superman in the comic books, you know, the powers of Shazam? Because think about it. You give Superman the powers of Shazam, he's unstoppable because his only weakness or one of his only weaknesses is magic. And being in the Shazam form, you are immune to magic. So he would literally be a god on top of everything else. Like he would be beyond OP. Oh, wow. Well, you know what? Uh, DC, we we have a story for you out there, you know, for free. So if you want to jump on that and literally do a what if story of what if, you know, kind of Superman had the powers of Shazam? One can only imagine. That would be a crazy, crazy story. And also to see how uh, how Superman could possibly deal with that, because I think the burden of that would be insane. But uh, well, like if the they, did it, they did it from like a younger perspective where like in Smallville, you see him grow up to a certain point and he gets, you know, selected at the same age as Billy Batson. So it's 16-year-old or 17-year-old Clark Kent being selected by Shazam the wizard Shazam and given those powers. So he has all the Kryptonian abilities and then all of his other abilities as Shazam. Oh, crazy. I'd love it. <laughs> Me too. That's why I'm like any, any, anybody working at DC, we, as I said, we have a story for you. So, uh, so you can take that one to the bank and, and write, write us a story. <laughs> I exactly. guess that's the best way you can put it. So of course, dear listeners, if you'd like to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you find us as Happiness and Darkness, or follow us on the Twitter machine, where we're at High Darkness Pod. And uh, Keith, when you're not here discussing all things DC, magic, superhero, and the like, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Uh, I'm always I creep on our Facebook page. So if anybody drops me a comment or drops a comment, I am always happy to, you know, correspond with anybody. Heck, you know, send us an email. I'm all about, you know, the fan email. You know, if we ever get enough of it, we could do an entire episode just answering questions. Sounds like an excellent plan to me. 
And uh, folks, uh, when it comes to me, you can find me hosting the country music radio show, Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. And when about that and where to you, you can visit our website. That is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you can also find myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We're reviewing all the Best Picture winners in chronological order. In two weeks, we will be going back to uh, the Gold Standard Theatre for our first film of the 2000s, which, of course, will be Ridley Scott's Gladiator. And, of course, uh, myself and the aforementioned Charles Skaggs can currently be found on the Fandom Zone. We're reviewing the last uh, last and ninth season of The Flash from the CW and occasionally might jump over and review a Superman and Lois episode as well. So that is The Fandom Zone. And speaking things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 2007 Patrick Archibald, Jay Oliva, Dick Sebastian, Frank Powell film. Yes, four directors for this one. Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme. So, uh, Keith, uh, any uh, anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? And uh, anything you'd like to add when it comes to our last magical movie of March? Uh, I think everybody's going to be happy that we've gone through our little magic hump and we will move on to our next set. But I like, you know, Shazam or Shazam. There we go. Dr. Strange. I'm looking forward to this review. It's, it'll be a nice change to do the comparison of DC and Marvel. Sounds good to me. I'm looking forward to this too. So uh, folks, thanks as always for this, this show and supporting us. We'll see you next time with Dr. Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme. Until then, stay super. Ciao.